Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Risa and Ryan, for asking me to be here. Guys, my name is Mayan Corioso. Very grateful, recovered alcoholic. And I've um, had the gift of sobriety since December 17th of 2008. For that, I'm very, very grateful. I'm just, I'm, it's an honor to be here. And, and um, I love, love many, many people on this, on this uh, Zoom call. You guys are near and dear to my heart and um, love this meeting. You got to forgive me. I've got a little something going on sickness wise. So try to bear with me. But um, again, I, I love doing these foundations. I love hearing the foundations. I learned a lot from uh, folks from, from this, this group. And um, you know, the, I, I always like to start with the purpose. What, what do we do this thing for? And, and I, I like to call this thing, the foundation of hope. It's just to give hope to, to, the, the newcomer, the person who doesn't understand what's going on, um, the person who's struggling with this, this thing called alcoholism and, and, and has no hope, and family members are, are beside themselves, and, and um, it, it, it's, just, it's just insanity is what this thing is. Um, so what I, I, you know, I want to talk about today is what, what is alcoholism? Um, and I think a lot of us spent many years trying to, to solve a problem we didn't understand, truly understand. And I think if you if you read the stories in the big book and, and, and go through that thing, there, there are many men and women who had the similar experiences. Um, so if we understand what the problem is, I want to also talk about what the solution is. And um, just like Dr. Bob uh, understood the solution, didn't understand the problem. Bill Wilson understood the problem, didn't understand the solution. You put both of those together, we need to know what, how, how do we do this? And, and what is the program of action that takes us from death to a, a recovered way of life? And, and that's what we're going to go over today. And, and that's what I'd like to talk about. Um, I always start on the title page because I, I, I just think about what, what life was like before we had meetings everywhere. And what the first 100, they envisioned when they, when they wrote the book. And why we use the book, um, and and I think we're 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 somewhat spoiled, and I think it's in a in a bad way sometimes because we just, you know, we're trying to get sober, and we we Google the closest AA meeting or treatment center, and we go there, and we may or may not hear about the solution. Um, we may or may not even open a big book. I mean, there was years where I didn't even open the big book. I didn't know what they what the big book said. Um, you go to the meeting and the context that you get is, is what everybody's sharing in the meeting. And I think um, that's kind of dangerous um, and it can be problematic. Um, but the way that the book was intended was they wrote the book to be a 12 step call to give hope to the newcomer. So they'd send this down to a guy like me in Dallas, Texas, who has no access to meetings. And I opened the book and I opened it to the title page and instantly, I'm dying of this thing called alcoholism. My, my wife is beside herself. She doesn't know what to do. And instantly, I, I get some hope. I get a first promise because it says Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. And this is the first wonderful promise of the big book. Um, this program is to, this book is to help us all be shown how we can recover and and this is telling us that this is possible so um let's flip over to the preface because it's a it's a good qualification of of why 
uh, we use the book. Why is the book so important to us? And um, if you go to, if you have a fourth edition, you go to Roman numeral 11 and the second paragraph, it says, because this book has become the basic text for our society. And I, I never really thought about, I, I always thought the, the, the PPG movement, the, the folks at PPG were, were nuts, which we are, a lot of us are. Um, <laughs> but I, it dawned on me that, you know, using the big book as the primary text was how, was how the first 20 years of recovery, that's what it looked like. I mean, it's all they had was the big book. And so today we're kind of referenced as big book thumpers. Um, back then it was just normal to them. So the basic text, and, and like Lindell was talking about, you know, Bill Dotson, you know, they, they brought the message to Bill, the first three, they brought the message to Bill, um, and Bill had to become, first of all, he had to become a, a student of this thing. And that's what this text is for. It's the, the three things that I have to become are student, practitioner, and teacher. So I have to learn. I have to be, um, I love that prayer that we say before, where I have to set aside anything I think I know about God, about this program and all that stuff. I have to be teachable. And I, I, I continue to have to be teachable um, coming up on 15 years. And I know nothing. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's amazing how you, the longer we get in this deal, we realize we, we are still students of this. Um, and I, people that struggle staying sober or struggle with the program, I think one of these three areas they, they struggle with. A lot of us can, can come in and quote the book and we, we love learning about the book, but can we really apply it to our lives and become practitioners in, in all our affairs? And then a lot, some of us, and this was me, my first seven years where I, I really wasn't willing to give this thing away. Um, I wasn't willing to be inconvenienced. And those are the three things that I have to continue to be. And, and the basic text of our society and the, the solution that we're, we're, we find is in this big book. Um, and that, I think that's really cool because, you know, there's a lot of methodologies out there. There's a lot of techniques that can confuse the hell out of you if you're trying to get sober. And so this this idea that this this book can has the solution that I'm looking for is again it's going to give me some hope. Let's flip over to the forward of the first edition. It's going to kind of break down who, what, where, when, why. Why did they write the book? Who wrote the book? So the authors um, were the we. It says we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Again, they're giving us that that promise that we too can recover. So why do they write the book to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. So they're going to lay out clear cut instructions. So I don't have to guess. Um, we do need a tour guide. Um, we do need a, someone to walk us through with some experience. But if I apply the principles, I don't have to have any PhDs. I don't have to, to, to know anything uh, about God. If I can lay out, if I can apply these clear-cut instructions that they lay, laid out for us, I can have the same result, which is being recovered. I can join those first 100 in, in being recovered. Um, it says, for them, we hope these pages will prove so convincing that no further authentication will be necessary. We think this account of our experiences will help everyone to better understand the alcoholic. So th this big, this book is all we need. It's all we need. You can have, I think the vision for you says this big book in your hand. And, um, you know, we, we do access other, other tools, but as far as getting sober, staying sober, 
and have and living happy. Um, this is all we need. This is also written for those who care about us. This is a, a great resource for our family members, for our employers, for our friends, for our spouses. Um, there's going to be some principles in here that pretty much anybody can can apply to their lives and, and live free. Um, it says many do not comprehend the alcoholic is a very sick person. And besides, we are sure that our way of living has advantages for all. And this is the this book is the birth of over 200 other fellowships that use the same 12 steps. And I want to be clear about that. Um, when we talk about Alcoholics Anonymous, um, and we've talked about, uh, many of us have talked about this before, I've heard other people say it, but Alcoholics Anonymous, it was the big book, and it's the program that is contained in the big book. And so this idea that I, and I, I, I said this many times, I was a chronic relapser, this idea that I've, I've tried AA, it doesn't work, um, have I applied these principles? Have I gone through the book? Have I gotten a tour guide to take me through? And, 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 and have I done what was suggested in the book? Or have I just gone to the meeting? And, and I want to make sure that we know that there's a difference. Um, the program that is found in this book is Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's why we're so adamant. You can call us what you want, but we're so adamant about staying, staying true to this thing. Um, Let's go to four to the second edition, which is, going to, which is going to give me a, it's on Roman numeral 15, if um, you're newer. And it's just a historical account of the first 20 years of, of AA. And there's some cool stuff in here. I love reading this. It's uh, all the history buffs in, in this meeting um, can pick this thing apart. But it, essentially, it's, you know, Bill Bill Wilson finds Dr. Bob. And that was the flare that, that started in 1935. And um, if you go flip over to the next page on Roman numeral uh, 16, this is like one of my favorite parts in this in this second edition. So in the second paragraph, it says prior to his journey. So Bill gets sober. Roland Hazard um, um, is 12 steps. Abby Thatcher, Abby Thatcher, 12 steps. Bill Wilson and Bill gets sober. And um, he's trying to figure, he, he realizes that he's got to go give this thing away to keep it. And um, so he's, he's kind of trying to find his way in that. So it says, prior to his journey to Akron, the broker had worked hard with many alcoholics in the theory that only an alcoholic could help an alcoholic. But he had succeeded only in keeping sober himself. The broker had gone to Akron on a business venture, which had collapsed, leaving him greatly in fear that he might start drinking again. He suddenly realized that in order to save himself, he must carry his message to another alcoholic. That alcoholic turned out to be the Akron physician. And the reason why I love this part is because I'm very much like Bill Wilson, an ego that can't even fit the door. And, and I guarantee you when he got sober in Talents Hospital, his his grandiose thinking, he was a, he was a salesman. He, he just, he kind of thought big. He's like, I'm going to go save the world. I'm going to go out here and be God's gift to all these people who need me. They need to hear my story and I'm going to help everybody. And so he goes out and he's knocking people off the bar stool and tell them they need to find, get sober. And he's having zero success. And I love that that, that happened because um, he, uh, he's broke. Obviously he, he kind of burned the house down and, he, and he's trying to get back on his feet financially. And he loses. I mean, he's, he goes to this, opportunity of a lifetime and he's about to drink because he's full of fear he's full of resentment the deal falls through he doesn't know what he's going to do and then suddenly says suddenly he realizes 
that no, 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 the newcomer is, he's not there for the newcomer, the newcomer is there for him. So he's in order to save himself, he must carry the message. And I love that because it connects to what I'm about to read in this next page. So Bill Wilson realizes that Dr. Bob is the key to him staying sober, not, not, not really vice versa. Now, he did present a message to Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob was familiar with the solution. He didn't really know what the real problem was. And so he wasn't going to apply the solution in, in, in a way that's necessary for him to have this, the experience, spiritual experience. Dr. Dr. Bob wasn't fully surrendered. Um, and so Bill brought the message that um, Dr. Silkworth gave to him. And, and then the two, I'm going to read this on the next page. It says, um, Roman numeral 17, it says, it also indicated that strenuous work, one alcoholic with another was vital to permanent recovery. So it, it, it's laying out really early on what this program is going to ask of me. Yes, we can have a spiritual experience. Yes, our lives can be transformed. Yes, we can get the families back. But there's a price that needs to be paid, and I have to pay it. It says, hence, the two men set to work almost frantically. And that's the problem that I think that we have today is that um, a lot of us, uh, a lot of people, well-intending people kind of soften the blow for us, and we don't really understand you know, and I know guys like Gail have like 15 commitments and, and are really they do understand. But um, some of us don't really understand what it's going to take for me to stay sober. And, and it says these these two worked frantically. And, and I, I want to look at my program today and, and maybe do some inventory. Am I working frantically for the newcomer? Um, and like Lindell says, I'm, I'm very grateful to be sober, but the price has to be paid. He said it best. He should be your foundation speaker. <laughs> so the rest of this found uh, this second edition, uh, it just gives a historical context of how this program grew and how this fellowship grew. One of the cool things that happened in uh, 1941, Jack Alexander, who was an investigative reporter, was trying to uncover the the the, the fraud that was happening in AA and 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 find out where, you know, it must be some cult that's, that's going on. And he went undercover and was coming to meetings. And he was so moved by what he saw in this fellowship, the, the purity of the fellowship, that he wrote in an article that was really um, against what his, his what articles that he normally wrote. And it, it painted such a compelling picture of AA that the numbers went from 2,000 to 8,000. And and so people were getting well. They were they were um, through the big book. They were they were applying these principles. They're getting sober. And out of this part says, as we discovered the principles by which the individual alcoholic could live, so we had to evolve principles by which the A groups and A as a whole could survive and function. And that's where Bill started recognizing that we needed to keep our fellowship whole. We needed some principles that the fellowship had to abide by so that we can stay together and stay whole. Because without the we, there is no me. If the fellowship doesn't stay whole, um, the newcomer doesn't have a place to go. Okay, so let's look at their success rates. And let's go to Roman numeral 20. I'm going I'm to kind of dive into some of the success rates and see what their numbers look like. And, and then kind of compare them to the modern day numbers. And it says, of alcoholics who came today and really tried, 
50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses and among the remainder of those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. Other thousands came to a few AA meetings and at first decided they didn't want the program, but great numbers of these, about two out of three began to return as time passed. Okay, so the the, the, the problem, there's there's many problems and there's, there's a description of why we can kind of go into why this is, this is the case. So this, they had like a 92% success rate we're looking at like a less than 3% success rate nowadays. And, you know, we can blame the legal system. Um, and I think we just need to, we need to talk about one thing. What they did is they, they, they carried a message that was consistent. Um, they carried the message to the alcoholic. Um, and, and when they got, when Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob showed up to Bill Dotson's bedside, they, they laid out the program. They laid out the problem, they laid out the solution, and then when he was ready to accept it, they laid out the program of action, they got, got to work, and I, as he said, he left there a free man, which means that he did the work very quickly. And I think, again, I'm going to go back to this, I think what's what's happened is we think out of charity and love that we're going to soften this program a little bit, um, not talk about God, we're not going to talk about what, what this thing is going to ask of me. Um just just come in here and have, and that's cool it works for some people but it didn't work for guys like me um and i think we have a we have a responsibility um to carry the message and carry a consistent message and for the person that's coming looking for help he needs to know what the problem is what the solution is and what the program of action is we don't need to sugarcoat it we need to give them the message that's all I'm going to say about that, because I can go into a lot of soapboxes about that. So let's talk about what this thing called alcoholism is and um, dive into this. I want to start on page 20. Uh, I want to talk about the three types of drinkers. And I love this part because this is this is kind of like we need to know where we stand. Where do we sit when it comes to drinking? Um, there are a lot of people who are heavy drinkers. It drives me crazy. Um, this is an outside issue, but. The legal system sends everybody to AA. It's like we got to take all these people. We got mental illness going to AA. The book is real clear. There's a delineation between the regular drinker, the heavy drinker, and a real alcoholic. And and yes, I mean, if you have an honest desire to stop drinking, you can be a member, and you can. You're anybody's welcome to come study with us. Um, but the book talks about what the real, because the real alcoholic solution is drastically different than, than those of the normal drinker and the heavy drinker. So it talks about on the bottom of page 20, the three types of drinkers. And the first one is a moderate drinker. They have little, little trouble in giving up liquor entirely if they have good reason for it. They can take it or leave it alone. I've, I've been married for 10 years. My wife, I was like a couple years sober or three years sober when we got married, um, and maybe I was five years sober, but she stopped drinking like when we first got married, just because she didn't know if it was going to like cause me to go back out or something. But like she was able to do that. My wife is a normal drinker. She can take it or leave it. She's got wine in the fridge. She doesn't drink. She's got liquor everywhere. She doesn't she doesn't drink it for years. She can drink a, a half a glass of wine and, and be OK. And it just it's, it freaks me out. I don't understand it. But. Uh, I don't know that I was ever that person. Um, just, just my uh, college roommates.
I was never a drinker. And this is the person that I think we get real confused with. And a lot of us think hope and try. And we, a lot of our family members treat us like we're the hard drinker. Am I cutting out here? Okay, good. So it says, then we have a certain type of hard drinker. He may have have the habit badly enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time. If a sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of environment, or warning of a doctor becomes operative, this man can stop or moderate, although he may find it difficult and troublesome, may even need medical attention. So this is the person who um, is a problem drinker, is having problem having some consequences because of his drinking. But again, we get to a place, and we'll talk more about this in detail, we get to a place where it's time to stop, he can stop. The heavy drinker could stop if he would. Now, what about the real alcoholic? If he may start off as a moderate, he may or may not become a continuous hard drinker, but at some stage of of his drinking career begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. And we'll talk more about what Dr. Silkworth talks about that. So the real alcoholic, the difference is he's he's crossed over that stage of of the consequences of starting to pile, you know, and, and, and he's crossed over, he's tried to stop. And he cannot. He's tried to moderate and he cannot or she cannot. Um, The real alcoholic would stop if they could. The real alcoholic is hopeless. This is the chronic alcoholic that Dr. Dr. Silkworth talks about. So let's flip, flip over to Roman numeral 28 and kind of break this cycle down and kind of dive into this thing. This first step says that we're powerless over alcohol and our lives have become unmanageable. And let's break down this powerlessness. So there's a two-part deal here. It's the body and it's the mind. The physical aspect that Dr. Silkworth, Dr. Silkworth was a brain doctor, neurologist that um, lost his practice in the crash and um, started working with drug addicts and alcoholics. And he recognized, he had case studies, and he recognized that there is something different about the way that alcohol manifested in 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 that real alcoholic in comparison to the heavy drinker that their their life experiences were very similar their socioeconomic race had nothing to do with it um it, it had nothing to do with what their childhood looked like um psychotherapy was of little avail when it came to trying to treat this thing there's something that happened that was different to the real alcoholic and there's something that happened in the body and there's something that happened in the mind. So the, the body part in the first piece, it says that we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. So chronic means that it gets worse, never better. See, the thing is that for the moderate or the maybe the heavy drinker that drinks and then maybe takes some time off, they could probably go back and be okay. Like have a couple and it kind of it's it gets better. Like if you just kind of maybe get some psychotherapy and go to church or something. I don't know. It, they 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 seem to get better over time. Um, for the real alcoholic, for the chronic alcoholic, it gets worse. I take a drink, it triggers an allergy. The cycle starts in motion, and my consequences get worse. The the ability to control gets worse. Everything starts to get worse. So when I look back at my story, has has this thing got any any better? So it says that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it. 
Once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things, human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. I love this thing, this deal, this idea that alcohol does not process through the alcoholic's body the same way as a normal drinker. And this makes so much sense. This was broken down to me when I was in treatment. I was in a detox. I had zero clue what, why the heck I kept doing this. You see, I think many do not comprehend that the alcohol is a very sick person. The family members don't understand that. They think that we're choosing to do this. They think that um, we're, 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 we don't love them enough. And I think we also don't understand either. I think we believe that. I think we believe that's why there's so much shame and stigma around this thing. Because we think that we're making a choice. We think that we don't, we just don't have enough willpower. We think that um, we're just, you know, losers or whatever it is that we think. But, but I, I, when I, when I heard this, that alcohol broken down in the normal body is able to process and the normal person process alcohol. And then they kind of like, they get rid of it and it's, and it's over. Whereas the alcoholic, it binds to my neurotransmitters. It doesn't, I don't have the enzymes to break down acetate. And then I, I, this craving happens and my body tells me I need more. I'm going to die. And that explains why all my friends would go home at midnight. They look at the clock. It's time for school, whatever. We got to go to class in the morning. We have have practice. We have a game. And I would, I kept drinking. I, I, I couldn't understand why I'd stay up. I'd stay up all night. We have a game the next day and I'd be, I I'd drink all through the night. And it's because this is happening in my body. This doesn't happen in their body. And they're looking at me like, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing this? Now, heavy drinkers may stay up all night and drink all night, but they're choosing to do that. See the real alcoholic, I'm not making this choice. It's like when I, I'm allergic to dairy and, and, and like when, if I were to eat a bowl of ice cream, I can't pray away what happens to my body, the manifestation of what hap- what's going to happen to my body um, if I eat the bowl of ice cream. Like I'm not doing, I'm not doing this because I don't love my wife. You know, what I'm saying? it's like whatever is happening to my body, I can't control it. And the same with alcohol. And that's what we need to help the family members understand is what the alcoholic needs to understand that once I put alcohol in my body in any form at all, I, I, I don't, I can't control what's going to happen next. So I take a drink, it triggers an allergy. The allergy um, triggers, triggers a craving. And the craving looks like this is that I like my wife goes into drinking a glass of wine because she's had a tough week. She craves that glass of that first glass. And she when she gets to the like halfway through that first glass, her craving actually dissipates. It goes down. So her craving for number two is less than the craving for number one. For me, my craving doubles every time I drink. And so by the time I get to number two, number three, number four, I need more and I'm on a spree. Now, a spree looks different for everybody. It may last for hours. It may last for days. It means that I drink more than I intended to when I started. Did you intend to have two beers and then you went and got drunk? For me, it was like it would last for days or weeks. And I'd, I'd be drinking myself to death, right? Talking myself in my apartment. And so if we flip over real quick to page 30, it says this. Um, Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it's not surprising. Their drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. 
The idea that somehow someday he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. And this is the physical part that he's talking about. How many how, how many experiments have we done? The beer, the liquor, not doing not drinking on Thursdays, not drinking on the only drinking on the weekends, whatever that looks like for us moving, uh, getting out of a relationship. You know, I remember trying to stop like just like I've got a problem and we realize we come to terms with this physical piece first this because it's it's causing some physical problems it's causing some consequences because if you go on a spree enough you're going to have consequences it's the only thing that stops you and for me it started out like I would miss class I would lose relationships and then for me it became legal and and that has nothing to do with me being an alcoholic but this is where what the consequences came I started getting arrested when I would drink I'd black out um, those types of things. So I remember being at a bowling alley and looking at my friends and they're drinking. I, they had these little like nickel, like little cups, like little tiny cups of beer. And I thought, how could that little cup cause problems for me? Like I could just have one tiny cup of beer. And I drank the cup of beer thinking that it wouldn't hurt me. It triggered the allergy. And at two o'clock in the morning, I'm I'm out getting outside issues and I'm up all night and I miss like, it's just, I'm back where I started. And so this obsession, this obsession that I can drink like those guys, that, that somehow I can, it has to be smashed. And this is the first part. Um, I'm going to go back over to, to Roman numeral 28. So the deal is, is if this is the if this is the main problem, if the main problem is that I have an allergy, like the common denominator is that I can't safely drink. A lot of us, the first solution is what? I got to go to the therapist. Like, like we just need to stop drinking. I remember uh, my the first therapist I went to, she said, I think you're an alcoholic. You need to stop drinking. And my mother was so offended. She's like, man, my, I did not raise an alcoholic. <laughs> it's like, you know, and then I remember getting arrested and my lawyer says, I think you're an alcoholic. You need to stop drinking. And that's the solution. Like a simple solution to the outsider is you just stop. Right. And so what they didn't realize is there's another piece of this puzzle that I didn't understand that I had. And it took a while for me to understand. It took a lot of pain and suffering for me to understand this mental piece that the real the crux of the matter is this mental piece that I have the mind of an alcoholic that stone cold sober. I'm going to make this insane decision to do something, which is take a drink. And I'm going to break this down. It says the bottom of the, it says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive, elusive. I'm, I chased I'm chasing that first drink, that first party I went to where I got drunk when I was 17 years old. And it was like, everything was great. <laughs> it was so much fun. That's what I'm chasing. I just can't catch it. I never get there. I never go back to that. While they admit it is injurious, injurious is another word for consequences. And I have, I'm starting to pile up consequences. They become astonishingly difficult to solve. They cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. I cannot connect the small cup of beer to jail. <laughs> the small cup of beer to losing everything. The small cup of beer to not being able to be financially, you know, I think that it's like external things. I think it's like a problem with my, you know, maybe it's some mental issues and I need to get some therapy and everything's going to be better. And I'll just kind of manage better next time. So to them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable and discontented unless they again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks. And I'm going to ask the question real quick. This is just a hypothetical question. How many of us, uh have ever relapsed in their lives like started programming and then relapsed 
And I want you to kind of walk that back. Because when we relapse, all we think about is the drinking. It's like, I drank. I drank for days. I drank for a week. I couldn't believe what I did when I was drunk. And that's all the sponsor. They call the sponsor. And you're like, oh, I'm in so much shame. What we really need to talk about is let's go back to the restlessness, irritability, and discontent that happened like six months earlier or three months earlier that hasn't that wasn't being addressed. This is the mental piece that takes place because it says the sense of even okay, it says unless I again experience a sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks. And so what they're alluding to is that alcohol is just a symptom. And it's actually my solution to the to my real problem, this internal condition. It says drinks which they see others taking with impunity after they come to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well known stages of the spree, emerging remorseful with the firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, unless this person can experience an entire second change. There's very, very little hope, there's no hope <laughs> of his recovery. So, what happens is I emerge remorseful. Anybody have a consequence that you're like, you, you woke up from, and you're like, dude, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> You know, every time I got arrested, you know, I, I, I am never doing this again. I, I remember one night, it is August 17th of 2007. That was the, I remember waking up and I'm like, I'm never doing this again. And I emerged remorseful and I made a firm resolution, which again, by, by the way, I'm telling the truth. Like I am, I don't want to do this anymore. And that's where I, I need to help family members understand that, like this, this person is not trying to do this. Um, what what he what he lacks, what he lacks is power. What he lacks is power. He's powerless. I don't have the power. I don't have the power once alcohol enters my system, and I also don't have the power once to to, to stay stop. So I emerge remorseful. Um, let's go to page 24 real quick. It says, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons of obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. This is the mental piece. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. I'm a ticking time bomb, and I don't even know it. So what happens is I emerge remorseful. I have a firm resolution. I'm telling everybody that I'm sober now. Everything's going to be better. Don't worry, mom. It's all good. And, you know, it's I get the job back. I get the, the, the car back. I get back into the relationship. Everything is good. Everything is good. A week or a month goes by. Reality starts to set in. Again, I don't have a design for living. I am without defense. I become, I start to become restless, irritable, and discontented, and I have no tools to deal with it. And I'm, I, I'm slowly walking in to this dark place that starts with lurking notion. And I'm like, I, you know, no, I can't do that. And then eventually it becomes an obsession. Anybody ever experienced that obsession? Once, once this thing gets to an obsession where you're Bombs are sweaty. You're calling your sponsor like I'm about to drink. I, I, I hate saying this, but it's almost too late because I have I cannot manage that decision. And I think I can I can go to 100 meetings and every it's going to be OK. Dude, I've, I remember going to meetings with the obsession and leaving there and, and drinking and, and then beat myself up over this thing. 
And the thing is, is the meetings, I'm not knocking the meeting. The meeting is powerful. There's a lot of good things happening there. God's working there. But I haven't been connected to this power because the real problem, the crux of my problem is I'm, I lack power. Another word for force is power. And if I leave myself here for very long, I will drink again. I'm going to die. And I'm without hope. I'm without power. And so let's, that's step one. And that's, that's a hopeless condition that I need, we need to understand. If I flip over to um, page 44, it says, in the preceding chapters, you have learned something of alcoholism. We hope we have made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. If when you honestly want to and find you cannot quit entirely, that's the mental piece. Or if when drinking, you have little control of the amount you take, you're probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Okay, so it's pretty clear. Page 44 through 40, 57 will open the door for me to be able to consider my own conception of God. It's, it's to open this door to start this relationship, but it's pretty clear that I have to have this experience. And in order for me to live, this is my only way out. Page 45, it says, lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously, but where and how? Where we define this power. The meeting is not for us to hang out. I'm sorry. It's not. The group, the fellowship, the primary purpose of our group is to help the newcomer find this power. The primary purpose of our program for me, this for this book, is for me to enable me to find this power. And the power has to be able, willing, and greater than me. And that's it. And that's it. And some of us are blocked off around this deal. And, and the cool thing about this chapter is, and this, this step is it doesn't matter. <laughs> we, we, we don't really have to know. We don't have to understand. What we have to come to terms with, and this is a litmus test. This is, a, this, is, this is so cool. Go to page 52. Because a lot of people will be crushed with alcoholic destruction and we get to this door number two, like this is the only way out. And we're like, no, 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 I think I'm, I'm good. Okay, walk it back. Let me ask you, is this where you're at? Is this describing your current condition? Sober, for some of us, so, sober. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were in misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be a real help to other people. And this is the promises of self-will. <laughs> this is where it takes me. This is the promises of alcoholic, alcohol destruction. This is where the disease will, will, will lead me every single time. And if this is me, if this is my internal condition, if this is my present condition, Am I willing to do something different? My way has not worked up to this point. And that was what it took for me, is it took me to get to this place, to look at my externals, to look at my internals and say, look, I, I'm obviously doing something wrong. Maybe I need to let go and try something different. So I want to point this out and I will get there in a second, but there's 31 pages that separate me from the promises of what this program gives me. And it's the exact opposite 
of what this this is describing. So 31 pages can move me from this destructive life that I'm living, death, really, to a spiritual way of life, which is the promises. 31 pages. And that's all step two is, is am I willing to do something different? Step three, uh, if I go to page 62, it's going to, first of all, let's go to page 59 real quick. Love this part. It says, half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with a complete abandon. Okay, so I realized that I, I step two, I came to believe that the power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. It worked for Ryan. It worked for Risa. It worked for Yale. Maybe it can work for me. So now this is this gives me, it's so cool. The big book is going to give me prayers, lots of prayers as I go through this thing. It's going to help me get connected. It's going to help me build this conception. And this, the, the key thing about step two is that, look, I don't have to have a conception. That's what the process is going to do. You don't have to know. You don't have to understand. You just have to be willing to do something different. And so now I'm at the turning point. And this is the turning point I was just describing. Page 52 or page 83. Which one do I want? <laughs> you know, um, and for some of us, it takes a while. It takes a lot of pain for us to get there. But anytime it says the word ask, it's a prayer. So we asked his protection. This is the first prayer I take before I say this third step prayer and make this decision. I am asking for your protection and care. Now, for a lot of us, we're going to ask you to read the book, <laughs> read what the first 100 did. And then it says on page 60 that being convinced we were at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. Just what do we mean by that? And just what do we do? And so on page 62, it's going to lay out the real, the crux of the problem. Now, the thing is, is that you don't have to know this or understand this or come to terms with this when you read this, when you're here, because this selfishness and self-centeredness cannot be seen. It's actually hidden. It says selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. I want to point this out. Selfishness and self-centeredness. Even when you're sober, without some inventory, without a tense step, without a sponsor, like you need, you, we, we don't see this stuff and it starts to pile up on us. And then what happens? We become restless, irritable, discontented. And this is the problem. And so when we're at this point, all we're asking you to do in step three is make a decision, make a decision to do the rest of the work. Because the sort step four, five, six, and seven are going to die is diagnostic steps. They're going to show me how this is playing out in my life. That alcohol is just a symptom. That the real root of the problem is this selfishness. And if I don't get rid of this, I'm going to die. That's what it is telling me here. And so again, I don't, I may not understand that. I may not really get down with that, but I'm willing to look at it because obviously something's wrong. So I sit down with a sponsor and I say, I'm, I'm ready. Bill Dotson did it with Dr. Bob and Bill. We, we take you up to the second floor. Uh, and we say a third step prayer. And it's just, a, what this is, is, is it's, it's, just a, it's just the beginning. It's the beginning of the process. It's, the, it's kind of a signal of my willingness to do something different. I say a third step prayer. And then at the bottom of page 63, it says, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. So again, quickly. We're going to do this work quickly. Page 64 through 71 are going to give me my clear-cut instructions. As soon as I say that third-step prayer, I'm going to get into my inventory. 
clear-cut instructions on how to do step four. I'm going to lay out what my resentments are, what my fears are, my selfish sexual behaviors, and how I've harmed other people. I'm going to quickly get with a sponsor. Go to page 75, and you get the clear-cut directions for step five and the prayers that go with that. The cool thing about the book and the steps is that the book is going to tell us when to take the step, how to take the step, what the results, the promises will be. And then it's going to give us some, some prayers that we can say as we're going through this process and that we can use the rest of our lives. I say, a, 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 I do a fifth step with my sponsor, it says we waste no time again quickly. We are engaged upon a life and death errand. And it says we pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. I, I realize today that I have to do that the rest of my life. I, today, I have to illuminate every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past, if I want to live. Uh, step six is the direction. It, it's, it's, these, these steps are like commitment steps to God, right? Step six and seven are quickly soon after step five, they kind of merge together, right? Really step three through seven are all one big step that should be done together, really together. A lot of the first 100 did that in a weekend, did it in a day. So once I'm willing, I, I recognize these defects. My sponsor has helped me diagnose some of the real roots of the problem, the nature of the selfishness and stuff like that. And I, I, I know that they're objectionable. I'm ready and willing to, to let God take me to some new, a new way of life. And so in step seven, I'm going to say the seven step prayer, which completes my third step prayer. And it's, it's, it's so cool because it's, it's like, it's like me. It's the prayer that says, look, I can't live this way anymore, God. And just as I am powerless over alcohol, I'm also powerless over my defects of character. And I need you. I need you. I'm going to go out here to help your kids and you take care of me. You take care of these defects. Um, page 76 through 83 are going to give me precise instructions on how to do step eight. Step eight is real simple. If you did step four correctly, you did step eight. Okay. Step nine, step nine, step 76 through 83 gives us the like walks us through the different types, the nature of the amends that we're going to make when to make amends, when not to make amends, how to make amends. So cool how we can, we can see that. And then quickly, again, this, is, this guys, this can be done. We get with a, a good sponsor. This can be done in a few weeks. I can get to, to, to page 83. And 83 is where I get to join that first 100, the title page, where it says that I have recovered. Once I get to 83, I've, these are ninth step promises that, are, again, are the exact opposite of page 52. And now I've reached a place, the destination, really, this is the destination. I love Yale taught me this. Steps 10, 11, and 12 are my design for living. This, these are my spiritual growth steps. A lot of people talk about maintenance. Sense. No, this is, like, this is where it all begins. This is where it all starts. This is where I'm going to grow in understanding and effectiveness. And so step 10, I'm going to do steps four through eight on a daily basis, four through nine on a daily basis. 
I need to be vigilant and rigorous about how I'm, I'm keeping up with my defects. And when this stuff crops up, I need to react. I need to call my sponsor. I need to pray. I need to get God back into this thing. Step 11. Um, the cool thing about 86, 87, 88, you may not, you may be religious. You may not be religious. The cool thing about 86, 87, 88 is we get a running start to learn how to communicate with God. If you do that, if you do 86, 87, 88 every day, you can develop a really cool relationship with God. And that's, and that's vital for us um, to start communicating. And again, I'm not knocking, I am kind of knocking this, but the step of month thing, like you think, think back to your early sobriety. Like I had to wait 11 months because we did a step a month, 11 months to get in communication with God to start this process. It's not how this is designed. It's not designed for that. Um, we have received the power. Again, I love the the, the 10 step promises. Like it, it, it does. It feels like I, I, I didn't really do anything. I've done some inventory. I've, I've, I've seen some big chunks of truth, but like the obsession to drink is gone. It's lifted and it will stay that way. If I continue to do this work, if I continue to stay connected to God and to do his work, well, it says now that, now that we have received this power from, <clears throat> from the steps, step 12 is our primary job. This is the work that we are, we, we have to do. And the next chapter on chapter seven, page 89, is going to give us the precise instructions on how to do that. And I want to go to page 64, 164, because it's going to kind of lay out what our lives are going to, what our lives are going to be like, what it's going to look like. It says, God will determine that. So you must remember that your real reliance is always upon him. He will show you how to create the fellowship you crave. Ask him in your morning meditation, which you can do each day for the man who is still sick. That third step prayer, we we, we said, <clears throat> essentially says this, is that God, I'm going to, I'm, you saved my bacon. <laughs> you saved my life. You help me be happy, joyous, and free. You take this obsession from me, and I'm going to go help your kids. And that's the deal that we're making with God. And it says on page 89, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. <laughs> so my recovery, just like the, fir the first two, my recovery has to match my alcoholism. I have to vigorously set out to do this thing. But the, this is the coolest life that I get to live. I get to hang out with people like you. Um, I get to have a family. We get to get back into the stream of life and have, you know, cool jobs and go experience things and travel and, 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 and we get to live free. We don't have to watch our backs anymore. Um, but again, there is some, some contingencies and this process is for everybody. So if I'm, if I'm new and I, I don't understand, or I don't know, let's get you with the sponsor. Let's get you connected. Let's get you in the book and let's get you, to this page 83 because we need you on the firing line and that's all i got for today and i thank you guys so much for having me